From crowded camps to a remote island, the government of Bangladesh is relocating hundreds of Rohingya refugees from makeshift homes in the southeast of the country to an island 20 miles from the mainland, known as Basanchar. The kind of life they'll find on the island is unclear, but their relocation adds another layer of uncertainty and fear to a crisis that began in 2017. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Today, I caught up with senior correspondent Mohammed Jamjoum, who's been covering this story since the beginning, when more than a million Rohingya refugees fled a brutal crackdown in Myanmar in 2017. Mohammed met many of them in neighboring Bangladesh, in the sprawling refugee settlement of Cox's Bazaar. He sat down with asylum seekers and aid workers there regularly and has kept in touch with them even from his home in Doha. When you first heard about the relocation of refugees living in Cox's Bazaar to an island off the coast of Bangladesh, what was your initial reaction? Malika, I was sad, and I was sad for a lot of reasons. The first reason was because I had been speaking to refugees who were not relocated, who were not on the list to be relocated. But they were terrified at the prospect of perhaps one day being forced to go. And this was very similar to a sentiment that I'd been hearing for a few years now whenever I speak to Rohingya refugees, they've been so traumatized by what they've been through. They've been so marginalized and so oppressed. And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of that trauma up close uh, when I've been to the Rohingya refugee camps in Cox's Bazaar, Bangladesh. I see and I hear how affected they were by this campaign of brutality and violence that was waged against them in Myanmar in 2017. Nearly 750,000 refugees crossed the border when the Myanmar army launched a crackdown on the minority Rohingya Muslim group in northern Rakhine state. They're desperate to flee an offensive by Myanmar's all-powerful army that the United Nations calls textbook ethnic cleansing. For many, it begins on this river. That's Myanmar on the other side. Every day, hundreds of Rohingya Muslims try to cross it to safety. The Rohingya accused the Myanmar army of mass killings, rape, and the torching of their villages. On one of his many trips to Cox's Bazaar, Muhammad met a woman in her 90s named Gul Zahar. Gul Zahar and the four generations of her family lived in the camp. She had fled Myanmar three different times in her life, running from persecution. The third time brought her to the refugee camp in Bangladesh. They beat us. They kidnapped us. They detained us. In the trips that I took after that Cox's Bazaar, we would go and visit Gul. Because one of the things she said to me when we did a story about her was that she wanted to be able to die where her parents had died. And um, at the same time, when we spoke with her, it was apparent to us that she understood that probably was not going to happen. And 
And a few days before these relocations started happening, I found out through contacts in Cox's Bazaar that Ghoul passed away last July. And I was sad about Ghoul. She didn't get her last wish. And I was sad about the fact that so many refugees who I've spoken with over the years are still terrified and still feel that they have no control over their lives. And some of the refugees I've spoken with are speaking to the refugees that have been relocated, some of them, and they say that they're glad to be there. But the folks that I met and that I've spoken with over the years are terrified at the prospect of being moved to this island, this remote island out in the Bay of Bengal. So the idea of relocating to Basanchar seems like yet another displacement. What do we know about the island? So this is a, an island that was formed from a buildup of silt in the Bay of Bengal, and it appeared just about 20 years ago. It is roughly around, by boat, three hours from the mainland. And many groups have expressed concern about the island. They say that this is a low-lying island that, that's prone to flooding. They worry uh, that it could sink. Uh, you, you have to remember that th this is an area where you have cyclones and, and monsoons. It's not easy to get to. A lot of the rights groups have said that they believe that it's essentially a, a detention center when they note its isolation. The critics of the plan uh, and rights groups such as Human Rights Watch and Amnesty International, they have said that this is essentially taking a, a very marginalized, vulnerable group and marginalizing them even further. And what is there to guarantee freedom of movement? Will they be able to get off the island? Are they sure that there are enough protections in place? And the Bangladesh government, of course, disputes all that. I mean, they've spent a lot of money building these shelters there, these building blocks that they say will house up to 100,000 refugees. They say that the island is protected from extreme weather, that they've constructed hospitals and schools and grocery stores, uh, that, that the island has mobile connectivity, that there's cellular towers, and that this is one of the ways that they are trying to provide a better life for Rohingya refugees because there is so much overcrowding in the camps in Cox's Bazaar. So on paper, it sounds like what the government is saying about this island sounds adequate, good even, but we know it's isolated. We know that access to it has been limited to journalists and to NGO workers. So when the government says that it is building these shelters and a hospital and they're cyclone-proof, what evidence is there of that? Is there any? Has anyone seen this and reported back? There are some local NGOs in Bangladesh that have been given access to the island, that have been given tours. There are Rohingya camp leaders uh, that have gone there on tours of the island to essentially inspect the facilities. But many media outlets have not been given access. It's not someplace you can get to easily. And one of the reasons there is such criticism about relocating the Rohingya there is because 
there has not been really any independent assessment, especially not by the UN. There have not been these feasibility studies, uh, these technical studies, where groups like UNHCR and other aid groups and other well-known international NGOs have been able to go there and get unfettered access. Several human rights groups have requested the Bangladeshi government halt all relocations to Basanchar until they've had enough time to fully assess the island. Human Rights Watch has described conditions on the island as poor. The UN has said the relocation may lead to a new crisis. Ill-planned relocation and, and relocations without the consent of the refugees concerned have the potential to create a new crisis. Despite the concerns, Bangladesh sent 300 Rohingya refugees to the island in April. These were Rohingya refugees who many of them had tried to escape life in Bangladesh and get to Malaysia. And essentially, they'd been trafficked. They had paid smugglers to get them on these boats and try to take them to Malaysia so they could get somewhere where they could have you know, better opportunity or perhaps reunite with family members. There's many different reasons for why they were not able to make it to Malaysia, but a lot of them were turned back and many of them were picked up at sea by Bangladesh's Coast Guard. They were allowed to re-enter Bangladesh. And once that happened, those refugees were taken to Basanchar. So these refugees hadn't volunteered to live on Basanchar. They hadn't wanted to be in Bangladesh at all. And somehow, they ended up on this little island that hadn't been vetted by international NGOs and hadn't been given the green light by the UN's refugee agency. And their experiences on the island so far have been documented in some disturbing reports. Human Rights Watch has reported that there were allegations that naval officers had allegedly beaten some of the refugees in retribution for a hunger strike that some of them had been uh, taking part of to demand reunification with family members that were in Cox's Bazaar's refugee camps. It's been difficult getting access to those refugees. And because this is such a, a remote island, it's hard to verify all that. But there are numerous right groups that have documented what they say are attacks uh, that have happened and abuses that have happened uh, on that island. Now, there are nearly 2,000 refugees on the island, and the list of names up next for relocation is growing. Bangladesh says the plan is to ultimately move 100,000 refugees to Basanchar to alleviate the overcrowding in Cox's Bazaar. Anybody who spent any amount of time in those camps certainly knows the conditions in those camps are dire and that they are severely overcrowded. The government of Bangladesh insists that none of the refugees that they have relocated have been forced to go. The government of Bangladesh says that all the relocations are voluntary and that going forward, all relocations will be voluntary. But there are groups like Human Rights Watch and Fortify Rights and Amnesty International, groups that have said that they've spoken to refugees who indicate that they were coerced. Rights groups like Amnesty International and Human Rights Watch say that the Bangladeshi government is pressuring and making false promises to Rohingya refugees to get them to volunteer for relocation. Human Rights Watch spoke to 12 families who say they didn't sign up to move to Basanchar, but found themselves on the relocation list nevertheless. 
And the Bangladeshi government hasn't given information on how someone ends up on the list. Mohammed says it's why refugees he's been in contact with say they know people who've gone into hiding within the refugee camp to avoid relocation. I know from some of them that there are families who believed that their names were on lists potentially to go to Basanchar and that they fled their huts in Cox's Bazaar and that they're essentially in hiding in other parts of the camp. Now just imagine somebody who's escaped the kind of campaign of brutality that was waged against the Rohingya in Myanmar in 2017. And they're now living in dire conditions in the world's largest refugee settlement in Cox's Bazaar, where the living conditions are, let's be frank, horrific. And now they flee even that and go into hiding because they're so terrified that they're going to be taken to this remote island in the Bay of Bengal. I think that really gives some perspective to the magnitude of the trauma suffered by Rohingya refugees. If it was an uninhabited island, is the infrastructure there for a functioning society and economy? Has the Bangladeshi government laid out a plan for how to turn this uninhabited island into a functioning city? Yeah, and Malika, that's the big question. What is the plan going forward? And we really don't know that yet. There's questions about what's the setup going to be when it comes to education for children. When it comes to the Rohingya refugees, it's been an education crisis for a very long time. There have been worries for a long time that you're talking about a, a, a potential lost generation when it comes to the refugees, the kids. Are they going to have a curriculum? Are there going to be schools? What are the jobs going to be? Which NGOs are going to be on that island? What if it does flood? What's going to happen? Again, the government says that all the protections are in place, and the government has been bristling at the notion that this is a flood-prone island. They said that they've taken care of everything, that it's safe, that it's not sinking, that they've built it up so that it's going to be fine. But now there are refugees there, The UN and other groups would like to be able to talk to them. They want to see how they're living. And we're really not going to know what it's like until there's more access granted to that island. This situation is nuanced. And the aid agencies working in Cox's Bazaar recognize that too. The UN has said that ultimately... Myanmar is the country that has the moral and legal responsibility to end the crisis. Look, these agencies over and over again have praised Bangladesh for the country's generosity toward refugees. And this is a country that took in from from 2017, uh, uh, in a matter of months, starting in August 2017, in less than a year, over 800,000 Rohingya refugees who fled the violence in neighboring Myanmar. But when you speak to analysts, they will tell you that this doesn't solve, you know, the real heart of the problem, which is this doesn't do anything, at least from their perspective, to actually make conditions on the ground in Myanmar safe for the return of Rohingya refugees. Whether they're in the camps or whether they're on Basanchar, they're still stateless and they're still not home. They're still refugees. So 
what's going to be done to ensure that at some point they can actually go back to Myanmar and that when they get back there, they're treated with dignity and that they're given the right to vote and that they're given citizenship. That Those are the questions that really need to be asked when it comes to the future of Rohingya refugees. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Dina Kispe and Priyanka Tilpe with Oni Wohacha, Nagin Oliai, Ney Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Stacey Samuel is our executive producer. And Graylin Brashear is our head of audio. We'll be back on Monday. <laughs>